0: Barnes, hit high! It's a game.
1: happy monday it's july 18th this is uh, derby day and it's not the uh, fraternity hangout day it's actually the home run derby day jack McMullen, arm layton just baseball show we're kicking off all-star weekend i have no idea how many episodes we're going to bring you for for the all-star break it might be an actual break for just baseball the just baseball show but you know what we're pumping one out today because we've got soto to go over we haven't talked to you since then we've got the draft the first round of the draft to go over we're going to give you, you know, a, a final look at the Home Run Derby. A guy got optioned. Um, and and I want to talk about that for a moment, too. But uh, I also want to bring up the word about the Marlins weekend against the Phillies. I'll do that at some point. It'll uh. just kind of be like a sneak attack thing. Um, oh, yeah. But first and foremost, how was your birthday, man? 25-year-old
0: well, Arm Layton. Yay, thank you. Uh, well, it ties into that. I I've you've heard me say this a couple of times, but I think it just kind of encapsulates everything just just so well. Um, my mom and my girlfriend Ellie were kind enough to like get my friends together and and surprise me with just like having a bunch of people at the Marlins game, because usually I gotta I got, I got to pull somebody's arm or twist somebody's arm to, to get them to come to a Marlins game. With hey, me. will you suck want... this
1: up and do it with me? Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I, Ellie and my mom were like, oh, we'll take, you know, we, we want to like get everybody to the game, whatever. So it was awesome because we find out shortly after it's Max Meyer's debut. And I'm like, oh, this is wonderful. You know, it, it's going to be, I knew I was going to the game. I didn't know who was going to be there. I get there, all my friends and cousins, and it was awesome. And, you know, we're at the game and I'm like, this is awesome. We have Meyer pitching all my friends are here. They lose 10-0. And, you know, I just figured that was almost just a microcosm of, of my Marlins life. I uh, just being a Marlins fan growing up, not even on my birthday. would I have friends and family there, could they give me like a five, three loss, six, two loss, no. 10 zip in Max Meyer's debut. You can't make that shit up. Uh, but other than that, it was awesome. I, it was a really awesome experience. Anyways, it's about the people when you're at a ball game like that. And uh, it, it made for a lot more fun conversation and a lot less uh, focus on the game. I'll tell you that.
1: I understand. Yeah, it, uh, it's funny. I shot you a text yesterday that you had a two-day birthday celebration because that was the day before your birthday on Sunday. Uh, day one, they got 10-pieced in Max Meyer's debut. Day two, they drafted a DH sixth overall. <laughs> um, <Yep. laughs> so that's that's kind of what the Marlins do to you. I, I saw Mish use this word. And I thought it was perfect, embarrassing for what happened against the Phillies. That was just an embarrassing weekend for the Marlins. And, you know, a lot of people are not going to be paying attention to the middle of the NL East right now. They're going to be paying attention to the top two. But with this expanded postseason, you get the feeling that either Philly or Miami was going to get into the postseason field. And this was a big test right before the All-Star break. Do the Marlins run through the tape at the finish line? And take this four-day break and just chill for a moment.
0: Or do they go down without a fight? And it was the latter. I mean, they went down without a fight. It was the latter, man. And, like, it's funny because I didn't know if we were going to open it up, you know, talking about the the Marlins that much. But, honestly, it's an important topic for just baseball in general right now just based on that series. Because going into the series, the Phillies were just outside of that last wild card spot. The Marlins were a game and a half or two behind the Phillies and, Three and a half out of the wild card. I think three actually by the time the series started. Yeah. And now the Marlins sit five and a half back, and the Phillies are now tied with the Cardinals for the third spot and the final playoff spot in the National League. That shows you how much a disastrous series can just change the tides. And you, you can look at it two ways. I look at the all-star break as maybe it's it's a much needed rest, or you know, you just hit a wall going into you know a bad time where you're just gonna sit there and fester. I like I like what we're seeing from the Phillies. I mean, that's what the Phillies have to do is take care of business against the teams that you know you should beat, and now just try to stay afloat while Harper is out. If Harper can get back, you know, in the next month, and they can stay within two, three games of the wild card, and right now they're they're tied for it, they've got a shot, man. And and I'm, I'm I still maintain the Giants don't scare me, and the Marlins were the next biggest threat, and they don't look like they're any any sort of a threat. It's going to be Phillies Cardinals for that final spot. And uh, I think it's going to be pretty fun to watch as, as, it, as it winds down here.
1: We're going to get to the Cardinals uh, a little bit later on in the show because I think the Cardinals just added some pitching depth without hitting the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, we will get to that. But sticking in the NL East for a moment, the biggest story of the uh, transactional baseball season so far. So the biggest thing to happen off the field. Juan Soto declined 15 years, $440 million from the Nationals, according to Ken Rosenthal. It's kind of three strikes and you're out. That's the third uh, extension that he has turned down. It would have been the largest contract in the history of American sports, I want to say, 15 years, 440. Um, It would best Trout, who was 12 years, 426. So Trout had a higher AAV, but nobody's ever seen that long of a deal and that much money in one contract. Correct. So that's what Soto was looking at. And he said, no. Yeah. Which was kind of fucking crazy.
0: It, yes, it's crazy. But when you break it down too, you can understand it at the same time. With I still, NAV. I still don't, this is where I, I tow the line here of, I don't fault the nationals. I think that was a, you know, probably some of the best that they could do offer wise, you know, longer term deal, A little bit lower AAV, uh, average annual value. Um, But here's the thing is I tweeted that, like, what else could the Nationals do? And then you remember one of the first guests of the Just Baseball show, Michael Schwimmer of Big League Advance, who obviously is going to be pretty knowledgeable on contract structure and things like that because that's how they make money big yeah. league advance of course is um you know the, i would say investment firm is probably the best way to describe it yeah or,
1: they're an investment firm again like the the quick 10 second pitch on them is they offer minor leaguers an upfront sum in exchange for a percentage of their future earnings
0: yes which gives them financial stability and and certainty at least you know at that point you're gonna you're gonna you know make some money and be able to support your family, train whatever. Uh They did it with Tatis, and that's kind of how they rose to prominence. In, and they're in doing the it media.
1: with Ellie De La Cruz too. I yeah. saw that on Twitter. Ellie's yeah. a Ellie's uh, a a um, big league advanced yeah. guy, and then Spencer
0: Steer is too. Steer is that's funny. Well, Ellie De La Cruz is a perfect candidate for that too because he was a cheap international free agent. He only signed for for I, I believe it was either sixty five. Yeah, $65,000. So, I mean, he didn't have much to, to really bank on. So it makes sense. And that's why we, we like agree with a lot of what they're doing there. Um, but he said, you know, Michael Schumer replied to me on Twitter and he's like, the offer's a joke. And I, I understand where he's coming from, from the perspective that 29 million a year is what it would average out to is significantly less than a lot of the best players in baseball will be making. My case here, though, is 440 is 440. And you're guaranteeing that now for the duration of your career, essentially. Yes, if you go LeBron style, you can make more money. But at the same time, if you go LeBron style and you get hurt or your game starts to dwindle. I mean, imagine if Christian Yelich turned down that long-term deal and decided to go short-term, short-term. He's screwed. And I don't think Soto is going to end up like that. But I think it's ridiculous at any point to ever call 440 a joke. Uh, but I, I do totally understand where Schwimmer's coming from here in the respect that if he really wants to bet on himself and, and be risk of, or not be risk averse, you can go this way and you will probably squeeze out 600 by the time you're done if he does it right. And we know Scott Boris is going to have him do it right. So I, I'm interested to see what it takes, but maybe they go shorter term and then he signs another deal on the back end of his career. Uh, but I, I think for the Nationals, it just doesn't make sense to go much higher than that.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. the other thing situationally that jumps out to me that kind of slipped my mind, and of course, it slipped my mind, because when I see $440 million, I just get nauseous. Um, that's a very, very high number. But I saw that, you know, they wanted to backload it, which in turn would decrease the value of the dollar with inflation, you know, just naturally occurring here. Um, so I think Soto was thinking that 440 would actually equate to around 400 in real time dollars or around 410. Um, That's something that I would never think about if I was offered $440 million. I think Michael Fisher, who's another guest of the Just Baseball Show on Codify, put it best. Uh, He said, if you line up $440 million, $1 bills, that stretches 43,000 miles,
0: I would say yes, so quickly your head would spin. I think that's me too. At the same time, though, no, you know, it's relative, but that is actually yeah, that's I love stats like that. <laughs> I love stuff like that. And I agree. Um, and, and I still think that it was a, a fair offer from the Nats. But I mean, realistically, they have crazy financial obligations to Patrick Corbin, to uh, Steven Strasberg. We've talked about that. And if they're signing a deal with Soto, if it's six, seven years, the first half of that deal. Is going to be non-competitive baseball where you know you're not really getting much out of it. So yeah. I understand them trying to make it as long-term as possible and backload it. once you have Corbin and Strasburg off the books, but I don't really see how how the Nats can get competitive anytime soon. And no, ultimately the the result of this is that we're going to see some trade talks, and that's the big thing. And we talked about it in the past. Everyone was like, "Oh, you're you know you're nuts for for being okay with trading Juan Soto." Here's the thing. He's a right fielder who's not great defensively. He's one of the best hitters in the modern era already and is on a fast track to the Hall of Fame. But he's one player, he's one hitter, and if Mike Trout can't win it for his own team as one of the best defensive center fielders, speedy, and I think a better offensive player all around, and the numbers would back that up, then what is going all in on one Juan Soto do? Trading one Juan Soto will get you multiple big leaguers, probably, and multiple impact, impact, impact prospects. I, it's probably the best thing for the Nats franchise long-term.
1: Yeah, I was going to say the path to winning as soon as possible is by trading Soto. Yes. Because you're getting young, good major league talent and really good high-level minor league talent. I think that's what you're looking at. And it's, it's a combination of both. Yes, it'll be the greatest trade return we've ever seen in the history of sports. Nothing will ever come close because you're getting two and a half years of Juan Soto. But you got to make the deal with the right team. And we were spitballing on Twitter immediately after. I know both of our minds were racing and, and Peter's mind was racing too. And um, I, I shot him a FaceTime and it was just, you know, a question as to like, who can do this? Who can go get him? And the shortlist that I put together was the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Guardians, maybe the Mariners, maybe the Orioles. I think those are the five systems that can move for Juan Soto. Do I think that... Five will do it. No, I think there's going to be one ballsy, ballsy executive that does it, and his name is probably AJ Preller. Yeah, and this will yeah. be a moot point.
0: Yeah, well, and, and that's the thing too is not only is it how many teams can do it prospect capital wise, it's then how many teams can afford it. So, and that's that's the problem too because Orioles could do it prospect capital wise, they could trade Cedric Mullins or Hayes plus any assortment of prospects and another big leaguer that they, they, did, they put-
1: if they did Mullins, Gunner, Cowser and a pitching prospect I think that probably gets it done but here you are sh- like just shipping off your future.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it wouldn't make any sense for them and um so the Orioles are they're capable not going to do it also they're in a ownership dispute and I doubt they're shelling out, you know, 400 in commitments to uh yeah or 500, I guess, because 400 didn't work um, it, to, to, to really lock up a right fielder. It's got to be the, the Mets, too. I think you got to throw them in there. I think they can find a way. I, I don't necessarily know how, but they have to be able to find a way because I know that they're going to try. And, and I think if you look at what, what the Mets have roster-wise, system-wise, it would be very, very tough for them. I'd assume that they would draft or trade almost multiple guys that they drafted this year. Remember, they had the 11th pick, they had the 14th pick. Uh, they could probably put something together uh, on top of that. They, they got Parada, which is crazy for him to fall. The Nats were tied to Parada. That could be a guy that is instantly traded if, if that's something that happens as well. Of course, inside division is not ideal when you're trading a Hall of Famer uh, or potential Hall of Famer. It's really down, I think, Dodgers, the Yankees. Uh, those are going to be two teams, the Padres as well. That could put together some really good packages, uh, and and obviously are not afraid of, of the money side of things. My problem with the Padres is they don't really have that much big league young talent. It's kind of polarizing to a degree. I would assume they trade. They'd have to trade Abrams in that, but it, it's it's one of those situations where Trent Grisham's not helping you anymore. That's um, <laughs> terrible. So it's it's tough. I, I don't really know necessarily how they put together that package. Um, but I assume they could find a way to do so with, with the prospects. If the Mets can, if I'm trying to make the case for the Mets, I know that the Padres can find a way to do it.
1: Yeah, I think so. And, you know, we're looking at, we're going to put together like a, a detailed rundown of possible trade construction. Like we're going to put together mock trades for the Soto deal um, this week at just baseball.com. So be on the lookout for that. That'll probably come after the all-star game, cause it's not happening anytime soon, but I saw a good one on Twitter and I, I'm forgetting who replied. It was, I think honestly a, a faceless bio, but I thought that the return was pretty comparable. It was something like Abrams, Gore, Hassel, James Wood, and another so, so much. And, and they're done. Like they have no more future after that, but your one, two, three in the lineup is Tatis, Soto and Machado. And that might be enough to win you a World Series.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, Tatis, Soto, and Machado. I I, I love that. Like, yeah, and that's something that I know Preller's thinking about already. Yeah, uh, he's probably sketching out the lineup card already, just just, just staring at it. Um, and, and they can do it. I mean, that that how do you say no to that? That gives you pitching, that gives you offense, gives you multiple positions, gives you prospects who are relatively either close or just monster upside. It's a ridiculous return. And I think a lot of teams would struggle to match that outside of the Dodgers and, and the Yankees would have to to give up Volpe. And, and still, I don't even know if the Yankees could completely match that with the combination of big league ready talent and uh, top end prospects.
1: I don't even know how the Yankees package comes together. Like it's for sure Volpe.
0: They don't have well. the young talent at the big league level. Really? It's probably Glaber. Um, yeah, but what? How much value does he carry right now? I don't. He's think, swinging it.
1: He's swinging it. Like the the only reason we pitch that for the Padres is because we know that AJ Preller has no problem decimating that roster.
0: Yeah, I, I don't. That's not really like Brian Cashman. Yeah, it, it's not like Brian Cashman to do that. He he will he will strike in spots, but AJ Preller is the guy that will decimate his roster. I agree. I, I don't see Brian Cashman being that guy. So it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see what some of the reported. You know, maybe if we get those, so what some of the reported packages look like and what they kind of float. Uh, but I mean, it, it's going to it's gonna change the Nationals dynamic in a good way, I think, long term. It's going to give did, them a lot more uh, balance to their did, organization.
1: Did you see what Andy McCullough tweeted out earlier today? I think he put together some trade packages for Soto and one of them was Soto to the Angels for Otani, Anthony Rendon, Joe Adele, and cash considerations. What? I don't know. Why?
0: Why would they? Why? why I don't would know. See, nat-
1: that's that's what kind of pisses me off about mock trades. To be totally honest, like that would never happen ever. Let's be more realistic here. Like, let's not whip Angels and Nats fans into a frenzy thinking that we're going to do Soto for a or, or uh Soto for Otani in a salary dump. <laughs> in a salary
0: dump. Like, I that's not happening. Everyone, yeah, it's it's just like let me go and go crazy and just put random shit together and throw shit at the wall yeah. I, I'm, I'm i don't know i don't like that <laughs> i don't like it either so
1: that's my thought um torque sucks i can't figure him out torque is a toledo mud hen. yep it's incredible
0: he got optioned he was hitting what a buck 98 when he got optioned it's weird man because i dive into it and like i can't figure it out i really can't because he's not chasing he's not whiffing an egregious amount. Uh, he's still walking a decent amount. Um, the BABIP is low, uh, the, but the spray charts look good overall. There's not really a specific hole that you can poke in terms of like the data, which is what makes it really confusing. Zone contact is, is good for a power bat. I, the, the only thing I could say, I guess, is just impact. Right. I mean, a lot of the the balls that were home runs for him seem to be dying at the track or seem to be routine fly balls or whatever it is because that would point towards the Babbitt. I, I don't really know, man. It's pretty weird that that Spencer Torkelson would have a 577 OPS when he's never had that at any stop of his career and has just always been a masher. I know it's the highest level, but it's not like he's getting blown up. I, I'm really struggling to see what the challenge is here for him.
1: Isolated power under 100 at 098. Yeah. And the average exit velocity, like you're saying, like he's not impacting the ball like he has before, 89.5 is his average exit velocity. That's way lower than it should be. And I, you know, we can't compare him to your Don, but your average exit velocity is 96 miles an hour. There is a massive difference between 96 and 89.5. 89.5 is something that a ho hum big leaguer puts together. 96 yeah. is what borderline best power bat in the game puts together. And that's what we're expecting Torkelson to be at some point. That's what Ala Vila drafted Spencer Torkelson first overall in 2020 to do. Um, and right now, like, I, I think everybody could dream for a moment in, in April and May. But once we got into June, and in the beginning of July, a lot of people got impatient. I was getting impatient. I was like, where is he? What are we doing here? Come on now. Like, chop, chop.
0: And it's just not happening. It's not happening. I think it's the right move to send him to triple. Um, it's at this point, you know, let him kind of get back into a relaxed environment where he knows he can hit. He can mash and go from there. But it's tough because, I mean, a big part of why I think people were, were excited about the Tigers this year was like, okay, Torkelson's ready. Green's ready. Um, you know, they went out and got some guys. They're going to look better. And it's just been a disaster for the Tigers. Not beyond Torkelson, you know, Erod is, is away from the team. And I don't know if they've heard from him yet. And even when he was with the team, he wasn't pitching well. Uh, Javi Baez has been bad. Riley Green ended up being hurt for the, the early part of the season and just now is, is really getting going. Uh, Torkelson obviously has been a disaster it's been really frustrating I I feel for Tigers fans because they came into this year at least with some semblance of optimism the good news is that I like what they did in the draft and we'll get to that on the on the back end of the episode and I also still really like what they're doing system wise I think they're doing everything in the right way they're not rushing anybody they're not rushing anything Um, but you know I think people thought they'd be closer to competing this year they were never going to be a competitive, competitive team this year. I think they were, the hope was they'd be closer to 500. We were a little early, I think, uh, for, for thinking that, I think for the most part. And now we look at this team and they say, okay, it's fine. It's a lost year. Look for development. Look for yeah. these guys to get going. And if I'm a Tigers fan, I'm looking at individual storylines. I'm looking at, can and get going and triple and then get back and finish strong at the big league level? Can Riley Green continue to do what he's doing? Can Erod return the phone calls? Yeah. Uh, like that, That's what I'm looking at
1: yeah I, I'm with you man and i my my follow up on Torkelson is if he starts breaking in triple, how quickly do you bring him back up what if he goes down and across next week after the all- star break like they get back in action on Friday what if Friday through Friday he's got four homers and he's got a, a thirteen hundred ops that week is he back up
0: let it ride i I, I think he's got to see a few different a few different like at least I two gotta different be. series. He's
1: got to be back down there. I think for a month. I think, I think he so should too. be there for a month.
0: I would say at least two series, which would be twelve games. It's roughly like it's you know, two 14 weeks. days. I would say that's the bare minimum. I, I would. I would want him down there for a month. Build on it. You know, like just just work on something because clearly the, he knows what's up. Something's up. I the, the numbers aren't going to tell us as much. Um, whether it's approach in terms of pitch selection because he's not chasing. Like I said, and the swing decisions are not bad, uh, but. Something's there. I I know the four seamers are blowing him up a little bit up. He crushes sinkers. So it might be, it might be like a swing path thing. There's, there's a lot of things that he can now work on in a controlled environment. And if he struggles a little bit through those adjustments, who cares in triple like that's where that's what I kind of want to see. And it's going to be interesting to follow and see how things look for him there. But, you know, I I don't know if anybody's outlook on Torkelson has changed. I I know mine has, not he's 22. He was fast tracked to the big leagues uh most guys would would just be mashing in the minors right now and if he was doing that we'd be hyping him up still uh but it, but it is it is frustrating timeline wise it's just a little bit more of a delay of, of torkelson's impact
1: yeah it's it's really frustrating timeline wise for i think tigers fans because obviously you want everything to be sunshine and rainbows and you wanted torkelson and riley green to come up at the same time they relatively speaking, came up at the same time because green, the only thing that was stopping him from being on the opening day roster was his foot. So he's here, he's ready. He's performing. You wanted Torkelson to be here, ready and performing, and he was not here, ready and performing. So now he's down mentally. I have no idea how this is going to screw with him. I've I've got no clue. Um, If it does, then that's not good. And you've got to reset here and get ready for the start of 2023. Like you're saying, if Torkelson spends the rest of the year in triple and if he has like an 800
0: OPS in triple, you think that fucks with his head a little bit? It could, could a little bit. Um, I think it's possible, but at the same time, I mean, this guy's hit his whole life. So I think his, he's already having you know, his head being fucked with a little bit, right? Like this yeah. is the first adversity this dude has probably ever faced in his baseball career legitimately. And um, I would say, I would
1: say maybe he's like overthinking a part of his swing, but, there's nothing to overthink in his swing. He's so quiet. I think that's why Detroit loves him. There, there are no moving parts there. That's,
0: just- that's what's weird. That's why it's really hard to, to peg exactly what's going on. It could be like a a small, small path thing through the zone. Like it could be the smallest tweak in the world, but that's why I feel like he's gonna be fine. Is it's, it's really hard to, to to watch him and poke an obvious hole and I think he's going be I think he's gonna be fine long term. Uh, But anytime somebody gets sent back down to triple, you always hope when your top prospect gets called up that he's never going back. Uh, And and it sucks when he does, because you're like, Oh no, what's happening. Uh, But I'm, I'm far from sounding the alarms on Torkelson. It's just not what we were hoping for. And that happens.
1: Yeah. All right. Let's wrap with the draft and we'll kind of go, you know, guided through it. We'll talk about picks one through. Yeah. We'll go to, We'll go to six. We'll go to Barry. Um, We'll go rapid fire one through six. Talk about what we liked through the rest of the first round and then what we liked after the first round. Cool. Yep. One, one Jackson holiday. Peter is now the owner of an Island apparently because (laughs) he got, he got what holiday at plus 1100.
0: 1100. Yeah. We, we mocked that. uh, And, and Peter, uh, Peter saw the odds after our mock and he's like, all right, I, I got to take this. If we're mocking Holiday, he's like, I believe in what we're doing here. If we're mocking Holiday one, I'm betting this at plus eleven hundred, and and a hit for Peter, so uh, that's pretty awesome. Um, but on, on the legitimate like baseball side of things, yes, Jackson Holiday, y- you can't go wrong. Um, I, Drew Jones, I think that's somebody that a lot of Orioles fans wanted. Maybe a lot of a lot of people were expecting to go number one. Um, I'm interested to see how the money shakes out here. Because the slot value difference between pick one and two is pretty significant. It's about six point five or point. Sorry, excuse me. It's about point six five million dollars. So six hundred fifty thousand dollars is about the difference here. I, yeah. I work in decimals in my head. I gotta sometimes translate that, but uh, six hundred fifty thousand dollars is the difference, and that's a lot when you're trying to be strategic draft wise, uh, especially if you could get Jackson Holiday to take a little bit less. Uh, then, then maybe the second pick value. I assume he's going to be getting something between that and the the O's probably save half a mil. But if you're saving half a mil there with all the picks that the O's have, they acquired the Marlins competitive balance pick um, in that Cole Sulcer Tanner Scott trade. Yeah, this allows them to be a lot more creative. And if you look at these players as one A and one B, that could be kind of the difference maker. And I have a feeling that might have been the difference maker. But that aside, Holiday is a, a potential five tool shortstop that I think is. You can look at him and say it's similar to to Bobby Witt with a little bit less explosion. I mean, but you're looking at tools across the board, bloodlines, um, you know, just just make up off the charts. Like there's a lot of similarities there uh, just with maybe not quite the off the charts, off the charts tools, but he's also a little bit younger. So it, it is interesting.
1: And you got a guy that can stick in short, too, because if you if you look at the Orioles right now, Gunner Henderson is the shortstop prospect but he's not a shortstop. He's not sticking at Probably short. third gonna, baseman. He's going to yeah. be a third baseman. Um Westberg, Westberg.
0: it's it's he's passable but not a true 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 shortstop.
1: Exactly. And then Kobe Mayo's not a shortstop. So, so you just drafted a true shortstop. You just drafted the future shortstop of the Baltimore Orioles when you've got catcher set, when it looks like you have third base set, when it looks like you have first base set in Mount Castle when it looks like you have the outfield set with Mullins and Austin Hayes and Kauser and Kerstad coming up, and it looks like you've got the front two in the rotation set. Obviously, Baltimore still needs more pitching, but I think they just did a really good job shoring up a spot that they needed, and they've got a guy that they can really dream on here. Um, and I'm with you. Who do you think comes in at a higher number, Holiday or Drew Jones at two?
0: I mean, Drew Jones is going to be more expensive, I think.
1: You think he's going to sign for a higher higher slot value, or uh, you think he's going to sign for a higher bonus? Oh, than like compared.
0: So you're saying Holiday at one now, or Drew Jones at two? I, I think it's going to be almost the same. I think it's going to be something roughly like that. But his holiday can,
1: under Jones over.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I think if if Jones was going one, he wanted the full slot value. If he's going two, he's getting the full slot value. I think that's kind of what what it was at. So you know, I, I'm interested to see where it shakes out. Uh, but. I think that might've played a big part in it regardless holiday. I mean, there's, there's, you can make the case with the helium that he's had that he was the best player in the draft too. And I don't think it would be crazy to say. Yeah. Um, and he, he looks like a kid. Like he still has a lot of physical development to come and I, he could really explode. I love the swing from the left side. The tools are all great across the board. And obviously Matt holiday being his father, similar to drew Jones and Andrew Jones being his father to. I, I of the best examples of hollow. Very good. Uh, I would say jones andrew jones should probably be a hall of famer uh but you know that that is two really really good players there um and and sons now a, a very good players with pretty good track record through high school
1: yeah drew jones too, six four hundred and eighty pounds um feels like he's got room to fill and if you can dream on an outfield of Drew Jones, Corbin Carroll, and Alec Thomas, you're a happy man. As a You have three
0: thing. center fielders. You have three freaking center fielders out there. You're never going to have a ball hit the ground. It, yeah. it, it's unbelievable. You, you can hope on that in maybe three years. You know, you're hoping Drew Jones can climb quickly um, with the defense. I think he will. It'll be interesting to see the bat. I don't see too much swing and miss relative to most high school guys that, are, that fit his skill set. Uh, so he could be a little bit quicker. Uh, but regardless, the fact that you would have, like, who's playing center? It's probably Drew Jones because he projects as an elite, elite defender. But the fact that you could displace Corbin Carroll from center and put him in left and it would be Alec Thomas in, in right probably, yeah, that, that's, that could be the best defensive outfield in baseball by, by a pretty good margin. And they can all hit. And they can all hit, too. Yeah, these aren't all Ender Like the, These guys can hit. Um, that's really exciting to dream on.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Kumar at three. Kumar Rocker was the shock in the draft, going third overall to Texas. I mean, he's going to go join Jack Leiter in Double A immediately. I feel like um, with Rocker, it's probably up next year.
0: He and Leiter are probably up next year, right? Assuming that they pitch the way um, they're capable of and, and healthy. Yeah, I think the goal would be at some point next year. Um, Rocker is already dominating indie ball guys and. Has looked really good, and I, I, this this is also another one of those picks where, if he was healthy and there were no health concerns, he would have signed last year for a lot of money, and probably would have been drafted right around this range. <laughs> he would have been drafted in the top five. Failed to yeah. ten. We know the whole story there now. Uh, the The Rangers were able to save money here too, so they're getting a guy that, assuming the shoulder doesn't you know go wayward, and apparently you know what they say was it was a minor scope. If if he's healthy you could get a guy that realistically has a chance to be the best player in the draft or the best pitcher in the draft, excuse me. And you got him for about 1.6 million in savings. Yeah. And now can go crazy with your other selections. I saw Jeff Ponce float this uh, of baseball America. Who's been on the, on the call up several times. And um, he was saying that he wouldn't be shocked to see Brock Porter who is fell out of the first round and, and hasn't been selected because of assignability issues. Seeing Brock Porter go also a Boris client also uh, somebody that you know probably is leaning towards going to college but now with 1.6 million dollars in savings you give him first round money the Rangers could get two first round arms here and two of the the four best arms in this draft if they are able to get Porter to sign
1: and you've got one that's starting several levels ahead of the other that's the thing Porter is you know the high school guy that's gonna have to climb from the complex up um, but Kumar is again helium, I think the best pitcher in this draft, I, I don't think it was particularly close because what we saw from Kumar Rocker last year, it was all health related. He was yeah. better. I mentioned this on our live stream last night. He was better than lighter last year. Kumar Rocker was the most dominant pitcher in college baseball last year. He was the best pitcher in the country. Um, I think that Kumar Rocker has the ability to turn into an all-star very quickly at the big league level. And I, I think that's what we're looking at here. And if the Rangers played their cards right, and they can spend on a faller in the second round or maybe even the third round, you're, you're living so large right now.
0: Yeah. I like it. I mean, we knew they needed pitching. We didn't know how they would do that at three and this was the way to do it. This is a really unique way to play it. You know, it could backfire if rocker has health issues, but I think it's a risk you got to take. They've been playing risky uh, over the last year and a half, two years. And and I like it. I, I think it gives them the most upside, especially on the pitching side.
1: Yeah, uh, Tamar Johnson at four. He was born in June
0: of two thousand four. Yeah, my god, annoying. it's annoying. Yeah, I don't like looking at that. Um, he's he's really he's a really good bat. I mean, I think the Pirates have to be thrilled to be getting Tamar here uh, at four, uh, especially with the struggles of and health wise of Nick Gonzalez bat first. You know, second baseman that you know doesn't seem to be fitting the timeline necessarily now as of late. Uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if Tamar can even pass him with how advanced he is of a hitter they they said you know best hit tool in the draft potentially definitely best prep hit tool it's not even close you got to be happy when you're getting that guy and number four there was legitimate you know talk of him at number one it's a great pick and there's not too much more on that I just don't think he's sticking it short obviously
1: Charrington said they're going to start him at short they're they're confident in the shortstop abilities but here you are adding him to an organization that has O'Neill Cruz and Leo Verpiguerro manning down shortstop he's going to move
0: yeah, he's going to move and it's probably going to be second base and he'll be very good.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, Elijah Green at five. Green is 6'3", 225. He's probably the best athlete in this
0: draft. Yeah. Um, he's probably the best athlete. What, what really stopped him from being the number one pick was a little bit of swing and miss concern and he's maxed out. He's 6'3", 225, like you said. He's maxed out physically. All these other guys, you can dream on a little bit more physical projection um, other than Kumar Rocker. But offensively, you can dream on a little bit more physical projection. Elijah Green is maxed out. What you see is kind of what you're going to get. But in terms of upside, it's very similar to Drew Jones with elite center field potential, exciting power, uh, and and bloodlines to an athlete. His father was an NFL tight end. I mean, this is a very, very good prospect. I think the Nats had to swing for the fence here, uh, and they did that with Elijah Green, who uh, given who was on the board, Highest upside, I think, of, of anybody that was left on the board at that point at five.
1: 100%. Um, and we know that they're going to get a a king's ransom of high-level minor leaguers for Soto. So you can take a high school guy. You don't need somebody to rush up there. Last one that I want to go over in depth is Barry at six.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Talk to um, me about Jacob Barry at six.
0: You know, I, I've slept on it a little bit. And, um, I wanted Brooks Lee really badly. I thought Brooks Lee was the perfect fit for the Marlins. Um, they don't really have a long-term shortstop right now, especially with the questions around Khalil Watson. Um, Brooks Lee would climb extremely quick, high-floor switch hitter. You know, just, just I love that pick for, for the Twins at eight. But the Marlins went with the safest bat in the draft, and that's ultimately what 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 we were asking them to do to a degree. It was what I was begging for the Marlins to not draft a high schooler to acknowledge their weakness when it comes to developing bats. And Jacob Berry is a switch hitter with an 8% strikeout rate with exciting power. Um, And it's just, just as safe as it gets offensively. And and I think that's ultimately what the Marlins were looking at. He's positionless. I think, I mean, they draft him as a third baseman. They think he can stick there. I disagree. I hope that's true. I hope he can, Um, but they're really drafting the bat here. And with their struggles in developing bats, I'm okay with it. It's just, I'm not, Thrilled about drafting a a questionable position player uh, defensively at number six.
1: Yeah, I I'm with you, man. All right, let's um let's go back and forth picks that we liked in the first round and beyond the first round. Let's do um I'm gonna take two off the top, number seven and number ten. Two heavy heavy fastballs that were taken. Cade Horton at seven by the Cubs. I think he pairs wonderfully. If you look at young arms for the Cubs, they needed an arm. Felt like they reached a little bit for Horton, but he was the first pitcher off the board, a uh, third or second pitcher off the board after Rocker. But Horton, he's a heavy 98 mile an hour fastball. It pairs well with Killian with the high spin top of the zone fastball, Horton's bottom of the zone. And then playing to the Rockies' strengths, Gabriel Hughes out of Gonzaga, sinker slider guy, mid 90s sinker, really good wipeout slider. We know that plays in Colorado. The Rockies took Gabriel Hughes. I thought that was a massive, solid pick.
0: Perfect fit for them there. I, I loved the Hughes pick. Uh, Horton, I'm interested on the money. You know, if they're saving money there, Horton has a lot of upside. We talked about it on the stream. Five five starts of dominance to finish out his collegiate career. Uh, and he was a two-way player who... Didn't really have that many innings under his belt, so you, you're you're hoping that you were buying a guy still kind of at the bottom of his upward trajectory with yeah. a lot more upside there, and they needed a power arm, a power right-handed arm in the worst way because Killian's really the only other viable right righty that they have uh, in terms of prospect allure. Uh, some of the picks, obviously, I mentioned the Twins pick. I loved that one. I mean, for the Mets to get Kevin Parada at eleven, I think you've got to be really happy uh, with that pick. I I, I know that Parada. Is a little bit of a question defensively, but I love that because again, we're, we're looking at ways for them to be able to potentially put a package together. Parada is going to help there, but also Parada is just a really exciting bat. Now it's out of Francisco Alvarez. You know, they don't have much catching wise in their system, but when you're drafting Parada, you're drafting bat first. And that was probably the best remaining bat in the draft. They get him. I loved that pick. The other pick I really liked, or I'll go two more because they're back to back here. Justin Crawford with the Phillies. Yeah. Carl Crawford's son, a lot of helium late in, in the draft season. He's one of the younger players uh, in this draft class, 6'3, 175, plus, plus runner. I think Kylie McDaniel gave him 80 grade speed with physical projection there. I mean, if he's 6'3, 175, he's got some room to fill out. Love the swing. It's simple. I think there's some pop potential there. I, I'm a big fan of Crawford and I think it's exactly what the Phillies needed. I, that's one of the better upside options you could have picked out there. And then for the Reds to get Cam Collier to find a way to 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 you know, I I would assume meet his price. Yeah, I would assume they're gonna they're gonna be able to meet his price here. That's a great selection. We're talking about a guy that that had a lot of steam for top five falls a little bit continues to fall because signability concerns. If the Reds can sign Collier, that's a really exciting bat to add to an already really good system and we were talking about
1: it on the stream last night, even if the Reds have to financially punt the rest of the first you know, 10 rounds, that's okay. They can do that. They already had a top-five system. Adding Collier makes them a top-three system in baseball. So you just needed to add top-end talent, and they added top-end talent. I think the quickest riser in the first guy to big league ball was just taken at 22. Cooper yep. Jerpy by St. Louis. I think what Jerpy can do... With that low three quarters, high sidearm slot from the left side, is he can be a lefty lefty nightmare. Opponents hit 170 against him this year at Oregon State. Um, I think he can be a swing man for the Cardinals and make several inning starts in September of this year. I think Jerpy is that kind of guy where maybe Jerpy is the ad at the deadline. I would prefer if they went and got a Frankie Montas. Um I don't know if they're going to do it because it feels like they are married to their top prospects, and it's going to take one of those top prospects to go get Frankie Montas. But um, I, I think Jerpy can add some pitching help, which we know and everybody knows they need if they need to make a postseason run.
0: I, I, that's exactly it. You know, I, I was looking at, at Barreira or or Jerpy, and they went back to back there, um, two lefties, but they want the guy that's you know got more proximity the latter being somebody that was in high school in American Heritage, I I love the pick because not only is he a guy that could help them this year, he's also just really exciting as an upside guy. Like, I I think he's the best pitching prospect in their system immediately. So you're not only getting someone that's going to climb quick, you're getting somebody that is instantly the best pitching prospect in your system. And with Libertor kind of teetering the line of just being like an okay back-end guy, it's nice to mix in a lefty with upside Uh, who I think instantly plugs in as a higher level prospect than him until he proves to us that he might not be able to do what we think he can. And I don't know if that's ever going to happen.
1: And and who looks different. Liberator and Flaherty are the mechanically sound, over-the-top, full wind-up guys. Jerpy is a sidearm starter. That's great to see. So it's just another look, literally physically, just another look coming out of here another guy 30th Reggie Crawford was a two-way guy that had Tommy John that can hit a hundred on the mound and is a massive human being that like has 30 homer potential is he a legit two-way guy yes or no for San Francisco
0: I think so man I, I think so I was asking um, Pete Flaherty about him because he, he's, he's not too far away from from where Pete you know likes to go out and, and watch a lot of yeah. a lot, you know it's kind of his scouting zone there and he loves him uh and I mean, we talk about triple digits on the mound, a powerful swing as well. It's funny. I think we're looking at a different time in baseball here where we got Bubba Chandler in the minors. Yep. Um, and now you have a new abbreviation. If you're looking at the draft tracker, Every, it's, it's you know, OF for outfield, obviously SS for shortstop, whatever P for pitcher for Reggie Crawford it's TWP <laughs> two way player. Someone had to add that in, you know? Uh, which is hilarious. And I'm sure it was, it was very recently that that was added in. I love it. I love it. And, and it's cool that it was the giants that did it. Uh, It's really interesting to see the giants dabble in a two-way player. They, they did that with Casey Schmidt in 2020, but the interesting thing is they shortly after told Schmidt focus on, on, on just hitting Um, Crawford's a better pitching prospect than Casey Schmidt was, who was their second round pick. And Schmidt's really been looking good at third base for them in high A now, probably soon in double. But it's interesting. Either they like the two way guys because of what they're able to do just athletically. And if they end up picking one, they still like them more. Or they really like giving it a shot with the two way guy and then seeing where it goes. Either way, they do it again here with Crawford. And this could be a big time upside guy at number 30. If it weren't for Tommy John, he probably would have been top 15.
1: Yeah. Back to back picks in the competitive balance round Um, 33 and 34. Dylan Beavers goes to Baltimore. Landon Sims is stashed by Arizona. I thought those were two really good picks here.
0: Arizona needs arms. Um, but at the same time, I, I, would, I would argue that, you know, their system is, is leaning a little bit more arms. It's arms and outfield. I still think with, with, what, the, with what the Diamondbacks have done over the last couple of years, they could always use arms. And I like them getting a high floor arm here with Sims and a guy that, again, was, was looking really good as a starter. And if it weren't for the Tommy John surgery, probably would have pitched his way comfortably into the first round. That's why he switched to being a starter. He wanted to you know, boost his draft stock and, and prove that he could be that kind of guy. Dylan Beavers, big-time upside dude. Orioles really crushed the upside in this draft, which is exactly what I wanted them to do. Uh, those are two awesome picks. And, I mean, to, to get those guys in the compensation round is, is great. And remember that in 2020, Orioles crushed it in the compensation round by getting Jordan Westberg another college bat here in the compensation round. And I like it.
1: Uh, how many minor league games does MJ or does uh, Ivan Melendez play? Not MJ, Ivan Melendez. Melendez, 43rd overall to
0: Arizona. I guess it really depends on just how well he hits out of the gate. I just it, It's fascinating to me that, that a, a guy like Jacob Berry goes sixth overall. And then a guy like Ivan Melendez falls because he's positionless all the way to 43. And I understand that there's a little bit more track record. There's a little bit more there but I mean, I'm just shocked that there was 42 picks ahead where nobody wanted to take Ivan Melendez who, I mean, if you run through his numbers last year are comical stupid. If he continues on the trajectory that he's on, I would imagine that he only plays about 55, 75, something like that kind of in minor league games. And he could be up, you know, in one year, Andrew Vaughn style.
1: Yeah. Uh, Barco 44th overall to Pittsburgh. I really like that pick Hunter Barco.
0: Another first round guy. If If he was healthy, right? I mean, uh, go undergoes Tommy John surgery and was it Tommy John or was it was some sort of injury that, that cut it was Tommy John short, uh, and ultimately cuts his season short but uh, he probably would have been a first round pick had he been healthy as well you know was was shoving at UF before going down
1: Peyton Graham to Detroit at 51st overall that is I, a steal of a I pick
0: loved what Detroit did I loved what Detroit did I love Jace Young I think that was one of the more overlooked names in the draft because of just the helium of the high school guys. And then to go get Peyton Graham, they got two of my favorite college bats in this draft with a lot of power upside. I I like it a lot from, from what the Tigers did.
1: Parker Messick going to Cleveland is hilarious. Messick is just another college great lefty that the Cleveland Guardians swoop up and get. This feels very similar to the Doug Nikhazy pick.
0: Well, and even like they went first round with, with, um, Delauder what would, well, oh, they went first round with Delauder. Yeah. And, and I like the out, we were thinking, oh, they're going to go arm. They're going to go arm here, probably still. And they, they didn't. And then they go with the upside arm in the second round. You know, they're going to develop them. You yeah. know, they're going to do it. They, they do it every time. Um, it's, it's one of those things where I, he has big time upside and he's in the perfect organization to develop him here. He was disgusting this year. I think he's going to continue to be disgusting, and now he's in the perfect situation. This is a guy I'm watching, like ready to just have massive prospect healing him out of the second round.
1: 100%. Um, three picks at the end of the second round. Jacob Melton went to Houston, Brock Jones to Tampa, Carson Wisenhunt to San Francisco. Which of the three picks do you like the most? I think I like so, Melton.
0: Melton's my favorite guy here. We talked about it on the stream. I I said I would even consider Melton over Jones. It's funny that they went back to back. So they're essentially like the same. Um, I like Melton's game a little bit more. He's more of a late bloomer, um, but less swing and miss also athletic uh, a little bit more physical projection in terms of just six, three, two Oh eight versus Brock Jones is maxed out football player at six foot two 200 pounds. Yeah. Um, I like them both. And I, the fact that the Rays were able to swoop up Brock Jones here at 65th overall is pretty nuts. But I, I just think Melton is is one of the most underrated players in the draft out of Oregon State. And I, I think he's going to be a really, really good bat that climbs quickly. So I'm going to go with Melton. Melton's one of my, I think, one potentially one of the biggest steals of the draft here at, at 64.
1: Interesting. Two more picks to run by you. Judd Fabian uh, to Baltimore. I want to say that was 67. That was competitive balance round yep. B. Yeah, 67 to Baltimore.
0: Um, you know, I, I look at it at this point, if you're the O's again, we talk about swinging for the fences, beavers, big time power potential, some swing and misconcern, Uh holiday obviously is, is holiday Fabian. This was a first round prospect basically, um, just last year. Yeah. And didn't sign, um, didn't do enough to quell the swing and misconcerns. That being said, still hit a shit ton of homers this year. Walked and- so often walks a lot, performed on the Cape. There's a lot to like here. If it works for Judd Fabian, he's a 30 home run guy in the big leagues, right? Like if it works for Fabian, that's what he is with good complementary skills. The thing is, is he's high, high risk. There's a lot of risk here, but at the end of the day for, for, for the O's who already have an elite system to take a shot at this guy at 67, I'm totally fine with that. They can take that risk there.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. And then the last pick for me, the Braves just grabbed a bullpen guy for this postseason run, uh, 76th overall in compensation round two. Blake Burkhalter had a meteoric NCAA tournament. Uh, Burkhalter out of Auburn, the righty. Big dude, big stuff. I think he slots in there with uh, with Minter and Matzik and, I mean, everybody, dude. I think the Braves just got a guy that's going to debut this year in Burkhalter.
0: I, I'd assume so because why, you know, why would the Braves take uh, a guy this early um, it, it, unless it's to help them now? I was expecting Ben Joyce to go, yeah. but like Burkhalter feels like another Ben Joyce type mold. 71 k seven walks. So yeah. there's a scenario where could you see the, the Braves try to stretch him out maybe into a starter, or do they just go all in on reliever and, and, and see how things go? Cause I look at the command. It's pretty impressive. Uh, Obviously, he was like a meteoric riser late. Not a lot of innings under his belt. Freshman season was cut short in 2020. 2021 through 21 innings was dominant as a reliever. Uh, played in a summer league and again was a reliever. So he's never made a start. And that's that's part of it. But that's not to tur- teams in the past. Are they looking at buying low on a guy that was only a reliever? Or are they trying to fast track this guy to the big league bullpen?
1: I bet they fast track him to the bullpen and maybe think about expanding him into a starter but i think once he comes up and if he succeeds in the bullpen they're just like oh great we've got another bullpen arm
0: and and that seems to be what the what the braves are comfortable doing i mean we, we talked about the struggles of uh, shoot who am i thinking of lefty works as schuster jared schuster in schuster. college before he finished strong but he wasn't a guy that was starting every day and like he was a guy that was kind of back and forth from the bullpen then finished strong they're not afraid of of guys with limited track record pitching wise and, and experimenting with them this guy has a track record of closing out games and if he can help their bullpen for a team that's trying to defend the title i love it i love it so i'm always here for those kind of picks and i'm interested to see who who gets ben joyce because he did not get selected yesterday right
1: well yeah he didn't get selected yesterday so we'll see what happens with uh joyce today and i i assume he's going to go before round 10 so that's that all right arm appreciate it man enjoy the derby and uh, i think we're going to talk to you after the all-star game
0: Are we? Is that what we're doing?
1: We'll see. I think so. It sounds like after the all-star game, we're going to have a conversation with uh, Ryan LaVarnway. And then uh, we're also going to do a mailbag later this week. So it'll be good. Oh yeah. Looking forward to it. All right, guys. We'll talk to you on Wednesday. What's so special about hero bread, soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas.